Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You, you have an iPad, you've got a paper-like, and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, They also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with. But getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a Paperlike on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their digital pro planner bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the Internet's most destructive comic book and pop culture podcast, and we are your hosts... My name is Chris Sims, and with me as always is Mr. Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you today? I am 
tired and a little dizzy. Let's see how this episode goes. Why? Okay, why are you dizzy? I don't know. Is this our annual dizzy bat episode? Yes, it is. I did a bunch of dizzy bat. No, I think I just have like some head congestion that is uh, giving me a hint of vertigo. So this is going to be fun. I have a little bit of head congestion too, but don't tell Eden because she said if I brought Concord to our wedding, she would murder me. Okay, Aiden, don't listen to this episode, and everything will be fine. Actually, this is going to be coming out after your wedding anyway, because we are recording a little bit in advance. Oh, I can, I can still get murdered. I can still get murdered, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> we are recording this a little bit in advance, because we are going to do some special episodes while Chris gets married and while I move. And in these special episodes, what we're going to do is rank some characters for our panel president list. We're going to do two panel president specials back-to-back at the last couple weeks of May. And I think it's going to be super fun to do. I think you're right, Matt. Now, what is the panel president list? Is that where – is the panel president list where you get six to eight pop culture items every month? No, that that would be Loot Crate. The panel president list is our – ever-expanding, growing list of comic book characters ranked from best to worst. And what we do is we elect the best characters and we impeach the worst characters. And that's what we do. We are going to take some listener-submitted lists, many of them from Line Steppers, who are people who have contributed to our Patreon at patreon.com slash warrocketajax to get the privilege of having their list read before anybody else. And in that event, we are going to rank the characters that they ask us to rank in comparison to those that we have already ranked. That is the idea. And because we are recording this in advance, we're not doing any checks and recs or comics reviews. We're just going to do these rankings. So, Chris, I say we just jump right in. Let's do it. We have currently, we're looking at 206 characters on the list, which is just the tip of the iceberg. Yes, just the tip of the iceberg. We've got lots of lists that have been sent to us that we've got to get through, So, which is why we decided to do this for a second year. This is our second year of panel president, so... Chris, I say we just get into this first list from C.J. Crawl. The first character on C.J.'s list is Katina Chuvansky. Kachu. Oh, that's some Strangers in Paradise stuff. That is some Strangers in Paradise stuff. Yeah, I don't know about that stuff. I I don't either. (laughs) I don't think I've read a Terry Moore comic. I've read... I've read a Terry Moore comic, because he did a run on Birds of Prey. I, I think it was between Chuck Dixon and Gail Simone. So I read his run on Birds of Prey, or like maybe like a couple of issues that he did. He did some Gen 13 bootleg issues also. Okay, then I probably read those. But yeah, I never read any of his creator-owned stuff. I never read Rachel Rising or, or Strangers in Paradise. 
Uh, I mean, it's it's been described to me a million times, and it was one of those comics that would, it was one of those comics that Wizard would always talk about to like. It's like, if you wanted a non-superhero comic, here were your choices according to Wizard Magazine. Usagi Ojimbo, Strangers in Paradise, Bone. Those were pretty much the only ones they... I mean, Hellboy, I, I, even though Hellboy could be considered a superhero <laughs> comic. Hellboy's basically a superhero comic. I mean, like, they talk about 300 a lot, too, but that's pretty close to being a superhero. The dude wears a cape in it's, that book. It's true. Uh, but yeah, so I made my choice, and it was Usagi Ojimbo, <laughs> so I am sorry... Uh, neither neither Francine nor Kachu will be able to uh, to make this list. I'm afraid. Yeah, I I just I have never gotten into that Terry Terry Moore thing. Uh, so sorry about that one, CJ. I'm pretty sure we can rank the second one on his list. However, Caitlin Fairchild. Yeah, that was my three six mafia bit. Gen thirteen. I have a deep and abiding and long-standing love of Caitlin Fairchild. Uh, I think she's probably the best character in Gen 13 because her concept is so stupid that it should have been done before and never was. <laughs> she's She's a super hot girl who is also smart. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Well, I mean, like, I guess and, she's... And she has super strength. Yeah, well, I guess the 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 direct ancestor to Caitlin Fairchild would be, like, She-Hulk. Because her deal was, she was, like, short, had big glasses. I mean, like, J. Scott Campbell was incapable of drawing, like, an unattractive... Woman, well, maybe like by by the standards of the Gen thirteen comics, so right. she just looks like a small Caitlin Fairchild with with giant glasses. Uh, and then when she when she gets her her Gen active powers, she turns into a super tall, like super busty, super stacked, beautiful woman with like a giant anime Lauren Holly face. According to a letter column in Gen thirteen, she is described as being six foot five. She, yeah, I think that sounds that right. Tall. Now, her measurements according to Gen 13 Zine, Matt, which was Gen 13 Zine was the This is how buckwild Gen 13 was. I think we have we talked about Gen 13 Zine on the show before. I think we have. Yes, I think we have. Yeah, Gen 13 Zine was where they would like was like a, a little ashcan sized book. And it was basically just people, like, writing about, like, it was like a fanzine, but it was made by Image. Like, it was made by the editors of Gen 13. Um, and one of the things they talked about was how Fairchild was supposed to have, I think it was L. McPherson's measurements. And I remember that, because they, they talked about Fairchild, Rainmaker, and Freefall, and gave the, like, real-world, like, people who had, like, like... It'd be like these are Caitlin Fairchild's measurements because people were always asking and like writing and asking about it, which is like that in itself is nuts. But that they gave them and then gave the real world people whose measurements they those were is the craziest goddamn thing that has ever happened in comics. I maintain that to this day. Is there a reason why Fairchild doesn't have a code name like Freefall or Rainmaker does? 
Well, Rainmaker's uh, Rainmaker doesn't have a code name. Her name is Sarah Rainmaker. Oh, that's her name. Okay. Yeah. So bad example. Okay, grunge then. <laughs> well, gr- like grunge was grunge's nickname. Like that was his like because his name is Percival Edmund Chang, so his nickname was Grunge. Bobby and Roxy are really the only ones who have code names, Burnout and Freefall, which are like related to their powers. And so, like her her code name is Fairchild, which is like one of those like like Fabian Cortez, you know, like one like one of those names. Except that it's you know like it's very weird. <laughs> it's like very very weird to have that be her her actual code name. Be yeah, no particular reason why she doesn't have one. I, I mean, I'm sure they worked backwards from from the the code names to the real names, you know. Let's uh, let's rank Caitlyn Fairchild. I actually like for all that she's like, for all that she's a kind of goofy concept. That like, like you can just imagine them sitting around going, "Yeah, she's hot, but she's also smart." Uh, like for all that 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 is like kind of really such a fucking goofball move. I think Caitlyn's actually a really good character. Um, I she is the like. Especially in the Adam Warren run, like where he writes her, like her dialogue is essentially like Beast from the X Men. Like she's that far like ahead of everybody else, like with Super Science stuff. But then she's also kind of like, you know, kind of earnest and straightforward. Like she's she's the good kid on the team uh, when the team is every everybody else's fucking slackers and. And and burnouts appropriately enough, like she's the like she's the one who does the homework, and I kind of like that. She's like she's like if Leslie Nope was uh, was She Hulk, I think that's really good. That's a that's a good elevator pitch. If Leslie Nope was She Hulk, yeah. Do you think she goes above like say a Black Cat? Probably not. I think Black Cat's probably better. I like her more than I like Emma Frost, but Emma's a, probably a more interesting character too. I don't like her as much as the Ninja Turtles. I don't like her as much as Damien. But I think I would put her above Wildcat. Okay, so above or below Misty Knight is the question. I I like her more than I like Misty Knight. I think she, I think Caitlyn goes above Misty Knight. I mean, I would... I would potentially go to bat for Misty Knight, but I have not read a lot of Gen 13 comics, so... I, I, this is based purely on... I think what gives Caitlyn the edge is that she's in, she's the focus of some really, really great stories during the Adam Warren run. Like, the one where she has to, like, do the, the, the favor for Ivana... And then Ivana at the end is like, is like, oh, by the way, this is the fourth time you've done me this one favor, and I just wiped your mind after each one. Right, yeah. And and right. drops her back in her life. Like, that's a really good story for her character. That she's, like, I, I think that, like, stories like that and stories from, like, the later era of Gen 13 are really what give her the edge for me. All right, then I will defer to you, and we will put Caitlin Fairchild between Misty Knight and... Damian Wayne. That's right. She enters the list at number 69. Next up on CJ's list is Cheryl Blossom. Cheryl's great. Cheryl's great. Cheryl's great. Cheryl is great. (laughs) (laughs) 
for those of you who may not know, this is a this is like a widely known piece of trivia. Cheryl was banned from Archie Comics for being too sexual. Let me let me know if this is accurate. Because it's always the way that Cheryl has read to me. Cheryl f- has always felt like the next level up from Veronica. Yeah. Like, she's the next yeah. step after Veronica. Because yeah. they're both... She- they're both like the rich girl stereotype. Yes. Uh, Cheryl is like the blossoms are meant to be richer than the lodges because Cheryl, like Cheryl and Jason don't go to public school. They go to Pembroke Academy and their family is meant to be like, she is meant to be like commensurately rich with Veronica, like, like, uh, like on the same level as Veronica. But I think it reads better if she's as much richer than Veronica as Veronica is than Betty, like there's something that goes even beyond the lodges that ha- that isn't even contained in the same town, because like there there has to be like a, a level beyond. Because I think that's the, the that's the deal with how Cheryl works is that she's like she's a she's you know um, a wrecking ball. That's how uh, I, I think uh, Roberto Aguirre described her to me when I when I interviewed her. And we were talking about how much we both like the character. She spoils the dynamic, but in a really interesting way, because she reverses. She she you know Archie's always going to pick Veronica over Betty, but he's always going to pick Cheryl over Veronica, and I and that makes both Betty and Veronica hate her <laughs> in a way that I think is like really interesting, and in a way that I think is really fun. So. There are interesting things in like done with Cheryl in the comics, like in in uh, the the married life. You know, Archie doesn't pick her. Uh, he picks either Betty or Veronica, and Cheryl is kind of like living this life you wouldn't expect, where yeah, she was. Well, she tried to be an actress. Well, Cheryl's unsustainable in yeah. an interesting way too, because Veronica is like. You know, the, the the thing with Veronica is, you know, she's the poor little rich girl, right? Like, she is, she she has a decent heart. She's, like, a decent person that just, you know, has a lot of money and is kind of, like, arrogant about it. Cheryl's amoral. Like, Cheryl does not have a good heart. Cheryl is, like, frequently driven by, like, jealousy and, and like, covetousness in a way that Veronica isn't like, like Veronica is, you know, is, is frequently the foil for Betty. Cause Betty's, you know, the, the, the good girl to, to use, to kind of break them into these, these broad categories. But like Cheryl, I don't think is meant to be a good person and by the standards of Archie, where they're all like, you know, pitching in and helping clean up litter or whatever, like extrapolated out to, to the logical conclusion, like Cheryl's, Cheryl is just like pure id in a way that Veronica has like a good good heart underneath it. There's nothing there for Cheryl. What neighborhood of the list do you think Cheryl could go could go in? Cuz like I'm looking at like the top 100 and I don't I don't know if she cracks the top 100. I don't think she cracks the top 100. I mean, we've got We've got Archie at 35, we've got uh, Forsyth Pendleton Jones the third at number 13. Uh, do we have any other, have we done like Betty or Veronica? 
We have not. I, I think Betty and Veronica both would, would rank higher than Cheryl. I, I don't think Cheryl's too far outside of that top hundred. Um, you know, like, like I mean, I would probably put Cheryl, like, like number 99 right now is Husk, Paige Guthrie. Yeah. Uh, number 100 is, is President Calvin Ellis of Earth 23. I like Cheryl about as much as I like both of those characters. I think she, I think she certainly goes above Annihilus. Let's, let's I don't think she goes above Omega Red. Let's slaughter in right there at number 100, then. All right, so Cheryl Blossom, who was once arrested in a canonical, classic-style Archie comic story for public indecency. Goes between Calvin Ellis and Annihilus. Next on CJ's list, scroll down, is okay. Funky Winkerbean. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Funky is, is fun- trash. Is Funky the worst character in the Funky Winkerbean comic? He might be, because like the de facto main character in that comic ends up becoming Les. Yeah. But Les is like... Yeah, Les is the worst of them. Les might be worse than anyone else on this list. Funky's bad, though. Like, Funky's real bad. He's well, okay, a fucking okay. sad... Like, everybody in that goddamn comic is a fucking sad sack. Well, Funky is the, is the saddest sack of them all. What sets less apart is he's sort of an egoist about it. He's so full of himself. Yeah, Les is smarmy about being a piece of shit. He's smart. Les is like, Les is an accidental pat. <laughs> you, you, you fucking hate Pat Reynolds, who's at number 194 on the list. But Pat is like meant for you to hate him. Like, less you are not supposed to hate, less you are supposed to, like, identify with. And, uh, and I, I so, yeah. like, for better or worse, I feel like Tom Baddick does identify with less. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a little bit of, I think there's a little bit of Tom Baddick in, in both of those main characters. I think there's a little bit more of him in less, which is why less becomes the focus of the strip. Yeah. But, like, fucking... God, like, we can clear out the bottom of the list and just put, like, fucking Lesmore, Funky Winkerbean, Crankshaft, like, fucking uh, Funky's dad. Well, uh, Crankshaft is just a mean old man. I, I don't... I don't know that I hate Crankshaft as much as I hate certainly Lesmore. You have occasion to feel bad for Funky Winkerbean. Well, Funky, like, they're both in that weird... They're both in that weird place where that strip starts out as something completely different than it is now. Where it starts out as, like, just a three-panel gag strip set in a high school. And then you cut to 40 years later, and it's a goddamn march of misery through death and endless horror. But the motherfucker's name is still Funky Winkerbean. Yes. Okay, so here's the deal. Hemogoblin is offensive, Marcus. Yes, Marcus is. Let's make no bones about it. A rapist. Yes, Cal Aowell Turner is a terrible joke that is a a sketch of a character at best. Same goes for Warrior. Where we hit where Funky Winkerbean could go, I think, is at Terry Long. Okay, I think you're right. Well, Matt, does your list have Warrior on it? 
Yeah, I said Warrior. Warrior, I think, goes okay. in the same category as Kaleo Il Turner, where they're they're barely characters. I th- I think you're right, but I think we could go ahead and right now put Les Moore at number two hundred nine. Well, we don't we didn't get Les Moore submitted to us, so I'm, I'm just saying we could do it. <laughs> we could, but we should not unless, until he is submitted. All right, so uh, uh, it, Funky is not as immediately and viscerally repellent as Terrier Long, though. But I think I think he's like. Like, it is easier to see humanity in Funky Winker Bean than it is in Terry Long. Yeah, I agree with that. Terry Long is, is grosser yeah. than Funky Winker Bean. And, and in that regard, I think I'd put Funky between Pandora and Terry Long. Yeah, I think he goes on the list at number 204, Funky Winker Bean. He definitely um, goes below John Arbuckle. Yeah, who, like, weirdly enough, he makes John Arbuckle look like fucking Dick Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, finally on CJ's list, scroll back up, Ninjak. Oh, you talking about Colin King? Colin King. Ninja K. Ninja K. Ninja K, man. Oh, he's he's the the, uh, the 11th ninja on the list. That's right. Ninja K. Ninjak fucking rules. What What if James Bond was Batman? But, that, like, with that, all that entails. <laughs> or, what if you were a ninja who also lived in a castle? It's like... Yes. It's like what kids come up with when they play pretend. Yeah. Like, I'm a ninja, but also I live in a castle. Yeah. And I'm the coolest. Yeah. yeah. But, like, uh, okay, that's a great idea. Like, like I feel like the original creation of Ninjak is along those lines. I also feel like, at the very least, and I will admit that I've only read like maybe the first five or six issues of the original run of Ninjak from from Valiant, but like the current run of Ninjak, like the uh, the the Jeff Lemire stuff, or, or Matt Kent stuff, excuse me, um, the Matt Kent stuff is what if James Bond was Batman, who had all the psychological problems of James Bond and Batman? She has everything. He has the cool shit, and he's got the, like, he's d- deeply disturbed. <laughs> I would so go so far as to say that Ninjak, between Old Valiant and Current Valiant, is the least changed character. Yeah. I mean, what I've, like, what I've read of, of that original run, and it's on the shelf over there. There was an Acclaim Comics one, uh, but it was totally different. It's... it's Who- who did the Acclaim Comics one? Because it's, like, those Acclaim Comics were it really... Was, it was written by Kurt Busiek. Yeah, like, they had, like, Garth Ennis doing Shadow Man, and, and uh, like, Wade and Pyre did, did Magnus at the time. That Ninjak is a totally different character. That, that was Denny Meacham, not Colin King. Oh, not Colin King. Now my boy. Now my boy CK. CK1. Uh... Is Colin King the best comic book character with the initial CK, Matt? I mean, there is Clark Kent. Mm, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, like, if you if you've never gone back and like looked at the even looked at those original Ninjaks, it's the, like the art is by Joe Casada, and the, like, they're beautiful books. Yep. They're confusing in spots, but like he does those like big like you know stained glass border pages. With like Ninjak jumping through windows and shit, like like Ninjak riding around on a purple myrtle, a purple motorcycle, like he's Prince. 
Yeah, like it's it, Nindak's good, man. But if you've read, I think you've, I think if you've read the that first volume, that hardcover, you got the idea. Like it it is pretty close to what Ninjak is now. Like I think the, the you know New Valiant has come up with a lot of interesting ways to make characters to update them and make them more interesting. Like obviously Shadow Man is very different. Exo Mana War is different. Bloodshot is different. But like, don't broke what ain't or don't fix what ain't broke. And Ninjak ain't broke. Yeah, like you know, the the the, the concept of of Exo remained the same. You know, what if what if Conan was Iron Man? Yeah. Uh but like the stuff that's done with it is different. Ninjak's just doing that shit, but like smarter now. No offense to uh, to, to Mark Amoretti. But, like, you know, Matt Kent is doing, like, some really good psychological stuff. And that book rules. And Ninjak himself is, like, a super good character. I do think, the like, a thing that we have to acknowledge and a thing that kind of holds him back is that he is a weird, you know, he, he's, he's one of those characters from the heyday of kind of American ninja Orientalism. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's know, the he's, thing he's, that... He's, he's in that Snake Eyes mold. Yeah, it's that thing that that Daniel Kibblesmith sidestepped so well in Valiant High, uh, mm-hmm. where it's are you are you British or are you Japanese? Yes, he's goddamn Ninja K, man. Ninja K. Where where does he go? I mean, he's gonna go high because he rules pretty hard. Um, I don't think he goes higher than like a uh, uh, a. a Lucy Van Pelt, by any means, but I think like I I would put him up there with like a a roast beef, probably. Like, where do you think he goes in relationship to Kim, Kim Pine? Because that's one that you felt very passionately about. I mean, I would put him below Kim Pine. I think I would put him below directly. Directly below Kim Pine, we have Scott Slim Summers, aka Cyclops, and Matt. You're like I wrote Cyclops, and you're going to have a hard time convincing me that Ninjak is not better. But here's here's be- who's below Cyclops: Plastic Man, Mister Fantastic, mm-hmm. Deadpool, also with that guy, Hitman, John Constantine. Like I don't think he quite supersedes those characters. I don't think he beats out Jack Knight or Atomic Robo. But you know, maybe somewhere right in there, like so, like maybe between Emma Frost and Hercules. I is a ninja who's also James Bond and who's also Batman. I, I guess a ninja who's also James Bond is that better than a ninja that's also a turtle? Huh. I mean, that's a tough one. Could we, Matt? Could we? I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest something daring and possibly a little dangerous. Could we put Ninjak between Raphael and Michelangelo? I mean, that's that's up to you, my man, because you wanted to rank Michelangelo higher than he is. I, well, I wanted to rank him. I wanted to rank him above Raphael. Yeah, but like, I feel I feel like I'm starting to feel it. It feels right to split up the brothers a little bit with another ninja. Okay, if that's what your heart is telling you. I mean, I think Ninjak can go actually higher than that. 
I, the, the, the poetry, Matt. The poetry is what's speaking there to me. There is a poetry to it. Okay, you, you're drawn by the poetry. So Ninjack enters the list at number 67. Colin King. He lives in a castle. He sure does. Our next list comes from Tim Maytom, who is a line stepper. And the first one on his list is Andy... The awesome android. Ooh, you talking about the Mad Thinker's awesome android? Yes. Talk about awesome Andy. That is who I'm talking about. Uh, awesome Andy was great. Awesome Andy, probably the best dance slot creation. Like that version of the awesome android. I like mean, awesome Andy well, walking around with his chalkboard. Awesome and awesome, the awesome android is a Stanley Jack Kirby creation. But yes, the one who was walking around with his chalkboard in the law office. The is. Mad Thinker's Awesome Android is a Stanley Jack Kirby creation. Awesome Andy, I, I feel like, is a different character. It's all the same thing, but yes. Uh, yeah, the, the, that, that revision is definitely some of Dan Slott's best work, for sure. The Awesome Android, uh, the, the Mad Thinker's, you know, heavy, is... I don't know. I, I was going to say it's not the best Jack Kirby design, but maybe it is the best Jack Kirby design. It might design. be. Yeah, that's the thing. It might be. It's, he's got a square for a head, and he wears little pants. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I like, it's Matt. Matt. He's got little pants on. He's not what you think of when you think of an android. He's more like he's a, not. He's more like a golem. Yeah, like he like it's so weird that he is. Because I guess that is what an android is, right? Like an android is like a robot with no like without discernible gender. Like it's a, Beta it's, isn't really an android. An android. Well, android has nothing to do with gender. It just means it's a human-like robot. Is that what it means? I thought it was like like I thought the the an and android was because because like aren't lady robots called gynoids? Matt, are we getting into like are we getting into robot terminology now? Uh, I, I think it's android like and as in human like, not just male like. Um, I mean, you could call him a gynoid, I suppose, but uh, I believe it's just a humanoid robot. Okay. Well, then, then that, I think that fails that test. Because <laughs> humans do not usually have rectangle heads. They do not have uh, rectangular solids as heads. That is, that is very true. I, I mean, that, look, Awesome Andy is great, but he really only had that one moment in She-Hulk. Like, what are, what are the other great awesome android moments? Yeah, I mean, like, I, like, I think... On his own, aside from the name, the Mad Thinker's Awesome Android, which is incredible, like legitimately one of the best names in comics, I feel like he wouldn't, like, he's not as good as, like, the Mindless Ones. Yeah. Or or, or the Super Adaptoid, or something like that, something that is inherently more interesting. But that run in She-Hulk, I would put him above both of those. 
Sure. Maybe not the mindless ones. I do fucking love the mindless ones. Because he has that damn chalkboard and he absorbs Star, uh, Star Fox's uh, abilities to seduce. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then and then like weirdly uses it to like hook up other people by accident, completely yeah. by accident. Like th- that's the best thing about a weird story that should have never been told. Is that like that like you know you get that scene where like Ozamander awesome and he's just really happy for his friends that they're hooking up together. Like the 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 star the Star Fox story is a uh, a weird one. But that's the best thing that came out of it. And then it totally gets undone in a later She-Hulk run, I guess. Uh, yeah. Or, or sometime later in that same She-Hulk run. So, I don't think he's, like, at the top, top of the list. But no, I, th- I, think he's, I think he's a great, like, Midland character. Yeah. I, I feel the same. I wouldn't put him above a Prometheus or a Lord Deathman. Yeah. But I probably would put him above a, uh, maybe like a tombstone. I would say he's maybe on that around that level. Yeah, I overdrive is too great of a concept to put him above. But I think I could put him above tombstone. Yeah, I mean, like we've got we've got Stinger under there. We've got Scott Lang under there. Maybe we could knock him down that far. But like, I think he goes above Vulcan for sure. I'm Thor's brother. I'm actually good where you first suggested, between Overdrive and Tombstone. Alright, so entering list number 138 is the Mad Thinker's Awesome Android, a.k.a. Awesome Andy. By the way, Tim's list, uh, the theme of his list is characters with weird-shaped heads. Oh, okay, good, good. I'm glad that we got there independently. Yeah. The next one on his list is Johnny Sorrow. Uh, well, Johnny Sorrow doesn't have a weird-shaped head. Johnny Sorrow doesn't have a head. He has uh, sort of a, a floating mask thing. Yeah. I, mean, that... I, think, I think he has a head behind it. I think his head's invisible. Yeah. It does seem It does seem that the mask is shaped to where a head would be. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about Johnny Sorrow. Like I know, like I, I've read his appearances in JSA, like, and he's got like a great look, like that is a cool ass look for sure. Yeah, uh, the the suit, like the, like the 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 red suit with the tie, and then just the mask floating above it, like that's a really good look. But I don't know. Having read comics about him, I kind of don't remember what his deal is. Well, he was a he was a silent film star, who then gets into some occult shit, and like, like Lovecraftian demon shit, mm-hmm. and then he becomes a sort of Lovecraftian demon himself. Like, there's all that stuff about how he can re- reveal his true face, and it is. It's so terrifying it kills you to see. Yeah, like, if he if he takes the mask off, his body is no longer invisible, and you die from looking at yeah. him, right? Yeah. It's, it's that Lovecraft thing, is yeah. exactly what it is. Which is cool. It's an updating of a couple of old things. Yeah. Like... It, it, he's, like, really pulpy. Like, he, like, he looks 
like a pulp villain with the with the mask and the and the suit, like and, and the weird old god stuff. King of Tears, Matt. It was the King of Tears. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the King of Tears. Yeah, the King of Tears. I, I feel like Jeff Johns wanted Johnny Sorrow to be the villain of the the JSA. And I think he was on the right track. Like, you know, there's that um, there's that big uh, Carlos Pacheco, Jeff Johns graphic novel where it's like uh, Johnny Sorrow teaming up with Despero, who hates the Justice League, uh, and Johnny Sorrow, who hates the, uh, the JSA, to take down both teams. But for some reason, he doesn't... There's so much potential there that I feel like we never quite get to. Well, I can tell you the reason. It's the same problem that you have with, say, a Dormammu. Mm-hmm. Which is, when a character is so far outside of human desires and, and what a human would want, because they're a demon, essentially, what, what do you write as their motivation? Like, what motivation do you give them for wanting to do supervillain shit? Right? Like, you can... They don't want money. They don't Mm -hmm. want revenge, necessarily. You know, you can only write them as, like, wanting to cause chaos. Or as being, you know, hungry for a certain type of violence or destruction. But it's hard to give them goals. Mm-hmm. And and that is often the problem with say a Dormammu, and it is often it is it is totally the problem with Johnny Sorrow. Like what yeah. what does he want? Uh, he, he wants he wants to 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 take his mask off and make everybody shoot blood out of their faces. Apparently, <laughs> so yeah. Like I think I think starting with Dormammu is a is a good like a good place to to get started. Um. I like his look more than I like Dormammu's look. And I like I, Dormammu's look a lot. I like Dormammu's look a lot. And th- the thing is, like, I feel like writers have figured out more to do with Dormammu than they ever figured out to do with Johnny Sorrow. Yeah. Well, because really, like, in the, in the modern age, Johnny Sorrow's really only been, like, a Jeff Johns guy, right? Am I Or am I forgetting, like, I, certainly in, like, major appearances... He was in a Justice League story. He was in like a JSA All Stars. Well, I, I guess it was a Justice League. Oh, he was part of Justice League versus Suicide Squad very recently. I forgot oh, about really? that. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll have to go back and read that one. But like, he's not a ma- he's not a major player in it. Is he not like a? Was he like created by Johns and Goyer and Robinson? Like, I thought yeah. he was an old character that they had revived. I didn't realize that he was created by them. No, he's he's been around for maybe like eighteen years, eighteen or twenty huh. years, and that's it. Huh? I did not. I I, I honestly got did not realize he was not like a golden age character that nope. they had brought back. Interesting. Very interesting. He, he is fairly new. I and I think like one great story with him would kick him up the list a long way. Yeah, I, I really do. He just hasn't had it yet. And and you, to have it, he's got to have a motivating, some kind of motivation other than, oh, the JSA beat me last time, so I got to beat him now. 
which is kind of all he's done, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, I, I think he goes below Dormammu, but he might go, like, just below. Yeah, uh, right below Dormammu we have Mephisto, uh, who I than, think... He's not better than Mephisto. Yeah, uh, I don't know if he's better than, than Boom Boom or Spoiler, either. I do kind of like him more than I like... Hulkling, and he might be a more interesting character than Parker. I don't think I'd put him above Parker, but I'd put him. I could put him between Parker and Hulkling. All right, so Johnny Sorrow goes there. Interesting. We're learning a lot today, Matt. We're learning so much. It's it's an educational session of panel president. Uh, next on Tim's list is too much coffee man. Uh, n- have never read a page. Never read a page of it. Yeah, I've never actually read the comics. I'm very familiar with the look of the character, and I've seen images of him all over in Wizard Magazine and other places. But I've never read those old Shannon Wheeler comics. Yeah. I just haven't. I just haven't. They're part of that, like, indie humor comics thing that... I just missed the boat on somehow until I stopped missing the boat on it. It felt too advanced for me in like 1991 mm-hmm. <laughs> or something. Yeah, well, it was, uh, I believe it was like black and white. And, and like any, any black and white uh, comic in the mid 90s was like, uh uh-uh, uh, no thank you. Like, yeah. this, is, this, uh- this is too. This, this is too weird for me. Well, what's what's weird is like too much Coffee Man didn't connect with me, but the Tick really did. Yeah, and the, the Tick was a black and white humor comic. That's but true. There was also there was also a Tick cartoon. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that's dude, probably what did it for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I've I've just I've never read those too much Coffee Man comics. I we probably should. Yeah, we probably should. I did yell at me one time because I said New Yorker cartoons sucked at uh, Comics Alliance. <laughs> so I I'm sure I would like them. They seem like they're kind of up my alley. But real real talk though, New Yorker cartoons fucking blow, and that's real for that's the real most real deal. Holyfield. Every once in a while, I see one that is funny, but for the most part, you're right. Also, the I think the gimmick of just like. Too much coffee d- didn't connect with me for the longest time either. Yeah, well, okay. Like, again, I was not a coffee drinker until the age of 28. You were not a coffee drinker until, like, last year. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry that we cannot rank Too Much Coffee Man at this point. Tell us if we should definitely read those comics. And if, especially me being a fan of The Tick and Tales Designed to Thrizzle and stuff in that vein, if I would like it. Uh, let me know. Because I'll dig up those comics if I... Need to. Finally on Tim's list is Modoc. Uh, talking about George Charlton. Uh huh. Are you talking about Matt? Matt, are you talking about the mental organism designed only for killing? That is who I'm talking about. Modoc rules, dude. Modoc should is, be this is it. Modoc should be the dumbest fucking thing. It Modoc should be the dumbest fucking thing. 
I mean, I, I would say I would say should be and possibly is. <laughs> it, based here's on the thing: the name, based on how Modok looks, all of it. Modok My question is this: so stupid. Aren't most organisms mental? <laughs> are we not mental organisms, Matt? I feel like we are. Well, I, it's in in some interpretations. I think this is one of those things where Stan couldn't remember what he he came up with because eventually he became the mobile organism designed only for killing. Even though most organisms are also mobile, <laughs> yeah, most organisms are also mobile. Is the thing. Like, and also, and also, that motherfucker is immobile. I mean, he floats. <laughs> he can float around. <laughs> Matt, if I had a hover chair, I could float too. Outside of that chair, he ain't mobile at all. That's true. Okay, so, Modoc's. Modoc is. amazing. In concept, in execution. That fucking design, like he's the, like one of the one of the biggest Kirby things, is give a motherfucker a big head and Modok's ninety percent head, yeah, yeah, and huge. Ninety percent um, is maybe lowballing it. <laughs> maybe lowballing it just a little bit. I mean, look, I got a Modok mug on my desk, and that thing is at least ninety five percent like head. I'm looking at it right now. Modok was always amazing. Modok got truly great post people realizing Modok was amazing, and that Modok is kind of inherently hilarious. Yeah, like there, so many hilarious things have come out of Modok, like Modam. Mo- Modam was supposed to be serious too. <laughs> <laughs> Modam wasn't a joke. <laughs> what was Modem? Let me see what I can remember. Uh, Modem was the mental organism designed for aggressive maneuvers. You got it. Designed for aggressive maneuvers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a lady. That's the lady Modoc. There's also Sodam. Uh, that's the that's the specialized <laughs> organism designed for specialized organism. There are all the the uh, Modoc variations in Next Wave. Yeah, the Elvis Modocs. All the, and I the mean, baby Modoc. There's uh, there's there are a bunch that are just brilliant. Brilliantly wonderful. All right. I'm gonna tell you this right now, and I should be telling this to Marvel Comics. Y'all wanna make some money? Modog. Modog. A big old dog. I think I think somebody might have done Modog, like but it was a pug. Pugs are weird looking already. You don't need to make a Modox. That would be the that would be the middle organism designed only for growling. I would say it would be the middle organism designed only to be a good boy. Each one each one works in its own way. <laughs> yeah, Modoc. Also, that that acronym, the Modoc acronym. We might have to make like an every acronym ever list. You might have to do a special on that, Matt, and and just go through them all. Because uh, Modoc is probably. Only outdone by ultimatum. Yeah, I mean, shield is is good. Shield is good, but like they, shield, I can see anything actually with, being called. They had to keep coming up with new names for shield. Like Stan kept forgetting what shield stood for. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Well, it, it, like, I, I feel like they, you know, post-Avengers movie, like, somebody was like, oh, the H needs to be Homeland. The H gotta be Homeland. It's it's post-2003. We gotta do that. But, yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D. Shield is, I can see a thing being called S.H.I.E.L.D. Ultimatum is fucking, like, that is a circus act in word form. We've gotten off the track a little bit, though. We, we yeah, have to. Yeah, Modoc's great. Remember that Christmas story where Modoc is, like, uh, chatting up that lady? And he's like, hey, you know, the ladies called me Modoff. And then she pours a drink on his head, and he goes, designed only for fun! Only for fun! <laughs> oh, George. Oh, Georgie T. G-Tars. Also, uh, Modoc's in Gwenpool now, and is also great. So, anyway, Modoc's great. Modoc is better than most characters. I would... We, one of the things we talked about on this list is, would you rather re- read, like, this character number one, or this character number one, all other things being equal? There is nothing I would rather read than Modoc number one. Okay, but but let, let's be real. The, the, the other character that we talked about being the dumbest idea ever... And it mm-hmm. making them great is KG Beast. Uh, yeah, KG Beast is pretty good. And KG Beast is right behind a character who's the greatest idea ever, Taskmaster. Uh-huh. I feel I feel like Modok is is in there somewhere. I think Modok's better than <sighs> Modok's better than KG Beast. Modok's more entertaining than Taskmaster, but certainly not as like. Certainly not as useful, you know, like certainly not as 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 adaptable or or like as interesting a concept. He got a big head and he zaps people with his brain. I think we can put him between Taskmaster and KG Beast and feel good about it. That's uh, okay. Well, you're telling me you think Caitlin Fairchild is better than Modok? I mean. You, th- I think you think that. I probably do think that. Okay, number seventy-four, Modok, the mental organism designed only for killing George Charlton. Our next list comes from Jeff Wickstrom and starts with Livewire. I'm talking about uh, Lori Petty? I, well, no, I'm not talking about Lori Petty because we cannot include the animated series version of the character. Uh, but she, that character was voiced by Lori Petty. I'm talking about Leslie Willis. I'm talking about Leslie Willis only. Yes. Like, uh, so, so Lori Petty's portrayal, and we should note that Livewire was created for Superman the Animated Series. Correct. Specifically, to be played by Lori Petty, like she's she's Superman the animated series as a version of uh of of Harley Quinn, essentially, but not nearly as popular. <laughs> she did not quite catch on the way Harley did. Even though Livewire is great, no, Livewire is great. Um, Livewire is great, but was like it felt her initial creation felt weirdly dated even for the time she was created. Because she was, like, supposed to be, like, a, a Lady Howard Stern. Yeah, she's a right? shock like, jock. she's a shock jock. 
Yeah. And it's like, it's the late 90s when she's created, which I guess, you know, I guess shock jocks were still a thing. You know, Man-Cow Man was, uh, was wrestling uh, Roddy Piper or something in, uh, in like, 1999. And he interviewed me in 2012, so... <laughs> yeah, you know, your guy, your, your, your best friend. That's right. Your probably future podcast co-host, Man-Cow. Sure, sure, I can see that happening. But, but I feel like, you know, like... And, and obviously, like, talk radio is still a thing. As we know currently, it's somehow still a thing that a lot of people take seriously. But that kind of, like... That kind of, like, shock jock stuff seems like very early 90s to me. Like, late 80s, early 90s. In a way that I don't... Like, like I, I feel like if you create that character today, she's got... It's like, she's a podcaster! <laughs> If you create LiveWire today, LiveWire's got uh, got the Yeti microphone set up on her desk, and uh, is is live streaming on Twitch. Oh, good. That's it. That's our. That's our. What's up? What's up, YouTube? This is LiveWire. Uh, I hate Superman. Yeah. Uh, remember, it, remember to like and subscribe. She just has a hate Superman podcast that she broadcasts every every week. Oh. She didn't come to comics until two thousand six. Yeah, which is wild. I mean, she was in the the. Superman animated comics before that, but <clears throat> she didn't come into the into the DC universe until 2006 in a Gail Simone story, which is which is wild. Um, and she was still the the shock shot character. That said, what has been done with Livewire in the comics since then has been pretty good. She's got a, a, a great design. She had, uh, you know, some some pretty basic villain stories to start with. But when she makes that turn from villain to hero, it's really good. Yeah, and like Robertson giving giving her the uh, the electric blue suit that that is something I feel passionately about for for obvious reasons. Livewire yeah. in the blue suit is a real good idea. Um, no, do we get a a post New Fifty Two Livewire? Uh, apparently, we have. I I have not read these issues, but here's what Wikipedia says: In the new continuity, Livewire appears to be as a member of the secret society of supervillains after the events of Forever Evil. She has previously faced against Superman, who found himself unable to defeat her since she is made of pure energy and teamed with Batman in order to do so. Her origin is later given in an issue of Batgirl, where it is revealed that Leslie Willis was once a, pro- a popular vlogger known for her pranks and makeup tutorials. Oh, I, I did read that. That's in the uh, that's in the, the Babs Tar stuff, I think, right? Yeah, it is. It's in Batgirl yeah. number 42. Yeah. Oh man, sorry I, I sorry I stole the idea of uh of YouTube Star Livewire from uh from that issue of Batgirl, but it's brilliant, brilliant. See, see, that's that good shit. That's that HQC. That's that high quality content, Matt. Uh no, I really like Livewire. I really like Liz Willis. Um where where do you think we should put her on the list? I don't like she's not a Modoc. She's not a Modoc and and I actually don't like the the step back in the new 52 to just making her a villain again. I I really liked the the face turn live wire. Um, the face turn was good, but at the same time I feel like Superman could use some likable villains. That's fair. 
That is fair. Like, I, I feel like, or, like Leslie Willis being a villain because she just hates Superman is not good. Like, it's good for, like, the first story. Like, she's a very, like, you know, she's a very Marvel Comics, you know, Bronze Age-style villain. You know, she fell in a vat of chemicals or whatever, came out mad at somebody. But I feel like, you know, if she could be, like, a, a more likable, like, not even really an anti-hero, but, like, an obviously bad guy, but, like, you know, one that we kind of like, even though she's tearing shit up with, uh, with her lightning bolts, I think that could be, that could really serve Superman well. And and serve her character well too. Like I, I think, I, I think she could be fun. Um, as much as I liked, as long as I like the face turn. So. Um, okay, so uh, another kind of likable Superman villain is Mister Mister Mixes Pitlick, mm-hmm. uh, who is on here right below Siltman and Shock. Uh, well, I I do think I like Livewire's got to be better than Shocker and Stiltman. Right. I don't know that I like her better than Shocker. I might like her more than Stiltman. You do, you do fucking love Shocker. I, Shocker's I, a great I, character. Okay. I think the absolute ceiling is Namor. Here. Yeah. But I feel like... I feel like my floor would be Stiltman. So between them, we've got uh, Coach Ulysses Boss, and we've got Shocker. I think Shocker should go above. Uh, All right. But I think she can go above Stiltman. All right. Number 148 on the list. Livewire. Leslie Willis. Next on Jeff's list is Saturn Girl. Talk about Emma Ardeen? That's right. She can read your mind, Matt. You know isn't it. it like, isn't, that, isn't it great when like characters have names where you know exactly what they can do just from hearing the name? Like Livewire. Like, oh, she's got electrical powers. Or Batman. He's a guy dressed like a bat. Or Spider-Man. I bet he can climb up a wall like a spider. Or Saturn Girl. Who she can, can read, read your, your mind. mind. <laughs> she ain't even from fucking Saturn, dude. She's from Titan. The moon of Saturn. I like Saturn Girl, though. Uh, she's probably... Probably my favorite of the original three Legionnaires, honestly. Like, because uh, Cosmic Boy's okay. Uh, the other character named Livewire, Lightning Lad, uh, is is kind of a bunch of nothing for a while until he gets his arm chomped off. Im- Imra in the Silver Age has some really good stories. Uh, I think she's good. I think she's good. Um, she is not a in the grand list of comic book telepaths. She's certainly not the best one. But I think she's solid, a solid character. It's that that name holds her back because she never gets another name. Lightning Lad gets another name. You know, like a lot of the Legionnaires get other names when they're rebooted, uh, like Lightning Lass or Light Lass. You know, becomes Spark. Lightning Lad becomes Livewire. Saturn Girl's just Saturn Girl, and it's so weird because like it's so obviously. A thing from space. It's a space word. Like they, like they could have called her Moon Girl or Rocket Girl or 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 Comet Girl or anything or something that has to do with telepathy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brain like, Brain Girl, Mind Girl, like anything. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm not a Legion guy. So Saturn Girl is totally totally up to you. Uh, well, I, I mean, I like I like Saturn Girl. Um, not my favorite Legionnaire, but certainly probably the best of the original three. Um, but I, I think she's, I think character-wise, she's probably better than Starfire, 
but worse than Megatron. That's where I would put her. Okay, then that is where she goes. So, Next on Megatron of Tarn, number one thirty-six, Saturn Girl, Imra Ardeen. Next on Jess list is Lena Luther. You mean Lena Thorul? Sure. <laughs> Matt, she was she was Lena Thorul in in the Bronze Age. I don't know if you know about that. Uh, well, you know about he's, he's, he says uh, she's pretty. He's pretty sure she's also the same character as uh, Nestalthia Luther and Alexis Luther. Nestalthia Luther, I think, is meant to be a different character because Lena is Lex's sister. Nasty, I think, is supposed to be his niece. I do love Nostalgia Luther, and I don't know why she's not around more. Her name's Nasty Luther. It sure is. That's great. Um, Lena is... Lena's a weirdo. (laughs) Like, Silver Age Lena? Uh, Like, because she's also, like, a telepath, right? Yeah. Is this a list of telepaths? Is that what this is? I mean, Livewire's not a telepath, so so no. It's just... I, I think it's just a coincidence. Okay, so... In in the, the, the Silver Age, there's Alina Luther, who's a telepath, um, who is Lex's sister, who's kind of like uh, adopted, and, and his family changed their name in shame... Uh, and Lena doesn't realize she's she's Lex's sister until uh, like until she's an adult. Then there's a post-crisis Lena, who's who's born during the Electric Blue year, who's Lex's daughter. There's Lex's da- daughter, and then there's also Alexis Luther, who is also Lex's daughter. Yeah, and then the second Lena, the second Lena becomes Brainiac. Yes. Because she gets aged up by Brainiac 13 technology. And I, and I think maybe, like, is in that uh, Chuck Austin, Jimmy Olsen book, the, the Metropolis one? And that one is also Lex's younger sister. Ye- no, no, the Brainiac one is Lex's daughter. Okay, there's another one that is Lex's younger sister. Oh, who is boy. also, who also showed up after Infinite Crisis. And then there's also Lena Luther in Supergirl's Cosmic Adventures in the eighth grade, who's uh, Supergirl's friend at school, who becomes her arch enemy. Then there's also post New Fifty Two Lena Luther, who Lex is looking to cure of her paralysis, and is his sister also. Uh, we might need a we might need a specification on this. There, there are a lot of Lena Luthers. There's a lot of Lena Luthers. A lot of Lena and, Luthers. And they're all so vastly different. They're very different. I, and, and I like think of most of them are good, too. Except for, like, Brainiac 13, uh, Lena Luther is not my fave. But you know what? That's, that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. So, so are we going to say too many Lenas? Too many to Lenas. Rank? Too okay. many Lenas to rank. The next on Jeff's list is Lightning Lass. Uh, yes, Lightning Lass is great, uh, a.k.a. Spark. Talking about Ayla Rans. Lightning Lass is so much better than Lightning Lass that it's, like, ridiculous. 
Because um, in the Silver Age, okay, in the Silver Age, she was Lightning Lass, and then they had the rule where you couldn't have the same powers as another member of the Legion, so she became Light Lass with the power to make things light, and that was weird, um, and not the best. Uh, but, like, character-wise, she's really good when they start doing, like, Bronze Age and, and, and like, early 80s stuff, because she and Shrinking Violet are uh, probably DC's, at the time, most prominent, like, subtextual lesbian couple. Like, in a way that's, like, I, I say subtextual, but is that super obvious. Like, they, they, they might even kiss at one point. Like, when they're hanging out naked on Winneth. Uh, but then when she comes back as Spark, uh, post-Zero Hour, like, she's got, like, a really cute look. Like, the costume looks really cool, because it's one of those sandwich costumes. Uh, I think she's... I think she's really, really good. Um, and... Like, I think I think that kind of interesting history uh, is is really fun. I think making her light lass twice because she becomes light lass again in the uh, in the three boot was was maybe a mistake, but uh, but I do like light la- lightning lass and spark a lot. Okay, um, so I assume that she is going to fare a little bit letter- better than Saturn Girl did. I, I just looked it up. After ending her former relationship with Timberwolf, Ayla entered into a long-term same-sex relationship with Shrinking Violet. So maybe they were like, like I, I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of them hanging out together. I think they were actually canonical. So I think she is like maybe like comics, you know, being created in 1963. Like maybe comics most well, I guess Catwoman is com- probably comics most long-standing bisexual. But yeah, Lightning Glass is good. Lightning Lass is good stuff. Where are you thinking? Uh, I like her better than I like Saturn Girl. So we can start there. Um, I don't like her as much as I like Spoiler. I think she, like, like she's, I think she goes above Parker. She, like, there's a lot of potential and a lot of really good stuff that was done with her. And, like, all the Lightning Lass, like, um... Like all the stuff with them being triplets and and having their evil brother and like it is is really good done really well. Okay, so between between Parker between Parker between, and spoiler. Okay, Parker and spoiler between Parker and spoiler. So lightning laughs, Ayla Rands. and finally here on Jeff's list is Maxima. Matt, are you talking about the Queen of Almarok? That is who. I am talking about Matt. Do you know why she came to Earth? She came to Earth looking for a mate. She came to Earth to fuck <laughs> because she specifically found Superman. Superman genetically compatible. Yes, it is both one hundred percent understandable and also completely buck that <laughs> that there is a story. Where someone's like, yo, I came from space to fuck Superman. He's the best man. Because <laughs> of course we all know Superman is the best possible man. But it's weird to have it spelled out in those terms by someone who joined the fucking Justice League. Yeah. I legitimately don't know where I stand with Maxima. I don't know if she's good or terrible. I really don't. 
it's a hard call. Because, like, we, we kind of don't like Vartox, right? Who's the same thing, just a lady. Or, or Vartox is a guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And then there's, like, current Maxima. I guess we're not going to do, like, New 52 Maxima, who has a whole different deal. Yeah, yeah. New 52 Maxima is a lesbian, which is, like, is, is like, Maxima exists solely as someone who is, like, who, like, wants to mate with Superman. Like, that's her, her core character concept. Yeah. Uh, from Roger Stern and George Perez. So, like, New 52 takes that in a vastly different direction. <laughs> Also, isn't it weird that a character named Maxima, they could not fucking figure out powers for her? So they just gave her, they gave her every power? (laughs) Yeah, it's all of them. She's got all of them. She's got superhuman strength, superhuman speed, superhuman endurance, invulnerability, flight, telekinesis, empathy, telepathy, hypnosis, teleportation, optical force beams, and force fields. That's all of them. Yeah, she's got That's, all of them. Maxima is a role-playing game character. She's a DC Universe role-playing game character. And, like, who she just, like, shows up in your game, and you're like, okay, uh, you guys are standing outside of LexCorp Tower, and uh, there's suddenly an explosion at the top. Uh, Jer- Jeremy, what do you do? I want to fuck Superman. That's what I do. <laughs> and then your game is ruined, and everybody has to go home, and you eat the pizza yourself. And then when Superman's like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I can't fuck you. Uh, I get to roll for that. Then, then she joins the Superman revenge squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maxima's weird. Maxima's really weird. Just a weird-ass concept for a character. And Just look, a weird concept. And look... Uh, George Perez is the artist who co-created her. Roger Stern is the writer who co-created her. And we've talked about how much we love Roger Stern. Yeah, I love both those dudes. Like, I think both those dudes have made some good-ass comics in the past. But like, Maxima is a weird, weird character. Maxima's weird, I mean, my dude. It's, like, the story is, is not a bad concept. It's like, okay, what's a new thing we can do with Superman? Well, this space queen wants to come to Earth and fuck him. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't do that in the 60s. <laughs> they kind of did do that in the 60s, but that's a topic for another time. But yeah, like, like it's a very weird, it's a very weird one. Like I said, I have no idea if she's good or bad. It's, she's hard to get my head around. Yeah. Because I do like the, like, I do like the idea of a, a, you know, a, a warrior queen from outer space who's, like, allowed to be sexual, like, allowed to be, like, even, like, you know, pursue heroes, like, on her own terms. I like that idea. But, like, Maxima shows up and goes, where's Superman? <laughs> I, I need to have a baby. What what's, what's wild about Maxima is that she eventually does become a hero. Mm-hmm. Joins the Justice League and ends up dying trying to sa- trying to save Earth from Brainiac thirteen. Yeah, yeah. She joins the Justice League and then gets kicked out of the Justice League and then they let her back in. Yeah, it's weird. It's super weird. I don't know where to put it, Matt. I don't know where to put it. I d- I don't really know where to put her either. I mean, I don't think she's like top tier. No, no. 
Like, it did. Okay, let's start here. Above or below Master Pandemonium? I, I went straight to Master Pandemonium also. Weird, but not as weird as Master Pandemonium. Not as, like, entertainingly weird. And I don't think she's better than Captain Cold. I think she's she better than Dax Novu. Maybe, maybe she goes right below Shuma Garoth. So between Shuma Garoth and King Mob, is she better than King Mob? I, I, she's. We certainly have more fun talking about her. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine All with right. that. Yeah. All right, Maxima Almarak goes at number uh, 162 on the list. And that's going to do it for this first panel president special of two. If you would like to send us a panel president list, you can do so at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. That is also where you can send Every Story Ever lists. If you have a listener question, you can let us know there. If you want to sponsor the show, you can let us know there. Or if you just want to send us some correspondence of any kind, you can email it to us. Also, there's our Tumblr where you can ask questions. That is warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. Be sure to check out our website, which is warrocketajax.com. That is where you can stream the show, download the show, read show notes, and leave comments. Also, check us out on iTunes. If you like the show, please leave us a review there. The more reviews we get on iTunes, the more we are featured. And now we've reached the part of the show where we tell you all the different places you can find us online. For me... All you have to do is go to mattdwilson.net, where you will find links to all of my stuff, including my brand new book, Supreme Villainy, which comes out in uh, just a little over a week. On June 6th, it will be available if you pre-order it. That will count toward the first day sales, which will be very helpful to me in possibly making that book a bestseller. If at all possible. Um, So if you want to pre-order it, you can do so on Amazon. You can pre-order it from your local bookstore. You can uh, go over to Barnes & Noble and reserve it. Whatever you prefer. Um, If you could pre-order Supreme Villainy, I guarantee you, you will enjoy reading it if you like the kind of stuff that we talk about on this show. Chris, where can people find your stuff? People can find my stuff by going to the-isb.com. Uh, there are links to everything there. Hey, uh, Deadpool Bad Blood is out now. Uh, it'll be available at your local comic book store, your local bookstore, at Amazon. Uh, it's 100 pages by me and Chad with uh, Rob Liefeld art, and uh, Rob uh, plotted it with us. It's super fun. Check it out. It's it's big. It's weird. It's good. It's solid. Uh, you're going to find out all about Thumper, but please pick that up. It's uh, it's the new It's the new thing, the new hotness. Uh, but that's all I got. This has been it for War Rocket Ajax number 354. You got it. So, uh, Matt, real quick, how we do? HQC is the ranking. We'll see you next time, everybody. We love you. Yeah! Stay on.